You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. Give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We go fly. Guidance. Guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Telmuse. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Charles Porterfield and Hoodoo is my business. Welcome once again to the Now You Know Show, and we are so very, very happy to have you here with us. We hope you all are doing well, and as the summer comes on, we hope you're finding ways to beat the heat. Well, let me tell you what a two weeks it has been. Last week, we had a 
a fight with Blog Talk Radio that we did not win. <clears throat> and so, unfortunately, we had to have a rebroadcast show, and we appreciate your patience and kindness with the little technical problems as they pop up. But we are back. That's right, with a brand new show. And uh, as you may know, we've had... Uh, a number of non-counted shows, meaning they were shows that didn't have an episode number. and They included, oh, Halloween specials. We had a wonderful Halloween specials, some thank, couple of Thanksgiving specials, a couple of Christmas specials as such. But in terms of our numbered episodes, tonight is our 100th episode. Hey, all right, all right. Well, good for us. We made it to 100. And if you haven't been with us before, we welcome you. We're so glad and happy always to see new faces. You can always go back in the archives and listen up uh, to all of those uh, previous 99 episodes. We hope you will. And we're just going to keep going forward from here as long as we can, as long as we've got something to say about all that stuff. Today, we had uh, some interesting things going on in the world. We had some hearings. Former director of the FBI, Comey, uh, gave some testimony. That was uh, kind of a strange and odd little event. But we have a interesting event going on right. And what that is, is that before we go into our show, we have a unique situation. We have someone with their hand up. And I'm not sure who this is. I don't know why they're calling in. But, you know, we get call-ins so infrequently that before we go any further, well, they just disappeared. Now, see, what happened there was they heard me say that and they realized, oh, crap, I've got my hand up. And (laughs) say immediately hung up. (laughs) So we were going to go to you. We were going to talk to you. We were going to see what you had to say. Your voice was going to be heard by, well, dozens at least, at least, at least a dozen people. And, and, but they're gone now. And and we hope you come back area code 401. We hope you come back and, and listen in with the rest of the show with us, but, oh, well, so it goes. The, 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 the life and times of live radio, ladies and gentlemen, the life and times of live radio. And speaking of live radio, live right now with us in the LMC radio newsroom, and he's sworn to be with us as long as um, Donald Trump is president. He had retired. And then when Donald Trump won, he said he couldn't retire. He said he had to come back. He said there had to be a voice in the wilderness as it was. Our one and only Patchy Fog is waiting, no doubt, with bated breath to bring you tonight's news. So let's go on over to the newsroom and Patchy Fog. Good evening. This is the news, read by Philip Fogg. Today is Thursday, June 8th, the 159th day of 2017, 
There are 13 days left until summer begins and 206 days left in the year. Tonight is the full moon, known as the strawberry moon. This will be the mini or apogee moon, which occurs only once every year when the moon's orbit takes it furthest away from the Earth. During this time, the moon appears 14% smaller in the sky than it does when there is a mega moon. The 10th and the 11th are good days. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow will be an auspicious day to dry fruits and vegetables, cut hair to slow growth, mow to slow growth, castrate farm animals, pick apples and pears, wean, quit smoking, potty train, perform demolitions, wash wooden floors, wash windows, start a diet to lose weight, advertise to sell, buy a car, slaughter, and kill plant pests. The 10th through the 11th are good days to plant plant late beets, potatoes, onions, carrots, and other root crops. The 10th and the 11th will also be good for evening fishing. Today's highlight in history comes to us from 632, when the Prophet Muhammad died in Medina. Also on this date, in 1042, Edward the Confessor became King of England, beginning a reign of 23 and a half years. In 1845, Andrew Jackson, 7th President of the United States, died in Nashville, Tennessee. In 1867, modern American architect Frank Lloyd Wright was born in Richland Center, Wisconsin. In 1917, during World War I, Major General John J. Pershing, commander of the American Expeditionary Force, arrived in Liverpool, England, while en route to France. Also, the 1st Expeditionary Division, later to be the 1st Infantry Division, was organized at Fort Jay in New York. In 1920, the Republican National Convention opened in Chicago. Its delegates would end up nominating Warren G. Harding for president. In 1939, Britain's King George VI and his consort, Queen Elizabeth, arrived in Washington, D.C., where they were received at the White House by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In 1942, Bing Crosby recorded Silent Night and Come All Ye Faithful in Los Angeles for Decca Records. In 1953, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled unanimously that restaurants in the District of Columbia could not refuse to serve black patrons. Also, eight tornadoes struck Michigan's Lower Peninsula, killing 126 people. In 1987, Fawn Hall began testifying at the Iran-Contra hearings, describing how, as Secretary to National Security aide Oliver L. North, she had helped to shred some documents and spirit away others. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to former First Lady Barbara Bush, who is 92. Actor-comedian Jerry Stiller is 90. Actor Mark is 83. Actor James 
Karen, 81. Actor Bernie Casey, 78. Singer Nancy Sinatra, 77. Singer Chuck Negron, 75. Musician Boz Skagg, 73. Actress Kathy Baker, 67. Country musician Tony Rice, 66. And rock singer Bonnie Tyler is also 66. We also want to send out special air birthday greetings to Madame Nadia, whose birthday was on the 4th. Michelle Jackson, whose birthday was on the 6th, and we wish to wish a very happy Founders Day to the Missionary Independent, Independent Spiritual Church, whose Founder Day was also on the 6th. Our thought for the day comes to us from Catherine Mansfield, New Zealander author, born 1888, died 1923, who said, quote, when we begin to take our failures non-seriously, it means we are ceasing to be afraid of them, end quote. This has been the news from the LMC Radio Newsroom, and we now turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the Lucky Numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with thirteen dishes, it will make me That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, okay, yeah. Put my trust in good for dust. Cause you know some days may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, thank you, the universe. Lucky number for me, yeah. Oh, yes, and you need not just trust in goof or dust as advised by the Nicholas Brothers because we have the numbers and card for you here each and every week and as every week they are provided to us from ProfessorPorterfield.com why not on by and take a look and this week's numbers are 18 <clears throat> excuse me 22 27 32 49 and 50. Once again, those numbers are 18, 22, 27, 32, 49, and 50. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 118. That's 118. 479. That's 479. And 522. That's 522. The card of the week is the Four of Clubs, the Stranger's Bed. Travel for work or business and sleeping alone. This week, we see a week bringing stability and solidness to projects and endeavors with a possibility of travel for work. This is a week to have your ducks in a row and be ready to go where and do what your business and work projects demand. However, cautious not to get into fights with spouses or lovers this week or you may end up sleeping in a cold bed. Remember, 
Our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. Until then, good luck to you all. Up next, from the First and Second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, our own Miss Loretta with Cooking with Miss Loretta. Sweet Loretta Martin thought she was a woman, but she was another man. following up on what we did in the previous week. As you know, it's starting to get hot here in Texas, and because of that reason, we have no desire whatsoever to make our kitchens any hotter than they already are. So this week, instead of bringing you something for the oven or the stove or even the crock pot, I'm going to once again bring you something that you can cook simple and easy and enjoy. And as summer comes on, we start to have a lot of barbecues and picnics and get-togethers for our church and for our families out in the open. And one of the things I always like to bring is a nice dip. So tonight, I'm going to give you my recipe for dill scallion dip, and I hope that you will end up enjoying it as much as I and my family do. This is a very, very simple recipe, and you're going to need the following ingredients for it. One cup of sour cream, one-fourth a cup of mayonnaise, one half a cup sliced scallions, three tablespoons chopped fresh dill, and you really do want to use fresh dill for this rather than dried dill, one tablespoon of lemon zest, one small garlic clove finely grated, and if you like more of a garlic taste in your recipes, go ahead and add in a second one kosher salt, and freshly ground black pepper. And then I like to have potato chips to serve this with, but if you like some other kind of chip, a corn chip, like scoops or whatever, that's fine. So the directions for this are just as easy as pie. Doesn't take any time at all. You're just going to stir together the sour cream, mayonnaise, scallions, dill, lemon zest, and garlic in a bowl. Then season with your salt and pepper. And then you want to chill this for between two hours or you can chill it up to three days and then just serve it with your chips. And I think you will find it is a very fresh and delightful little dish that you can have. And it's a nice little dip. If you would like it to have a little bit more of a clean flavor or something that doesn't cloy to the palate, then all you will need to do is just double the amount 
of lemon zest that you put in it, and it'll give it a lovely little taste. So there you go. And again, something cool that you can cook up. It's quick, it's easy, and the kids love it. Your family will love it, and I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back next week with something else to cook. Going to heat up the kitchen too much. Until then, I hope you enjoy everything that we give you here. And now we turn it over to Professor Porterfield and the pontification. Bye-bye. Thank you, Miss Loretta. That uh, sounds like a lovely little dip. And uh, I, I like all of that. I like, you know... Sounds good to me. Scallions. I like scallions like dill. I like lemon, a little bit of garlic. Uh, Miss McHale pointed out that that would probably be very good uh, on celery and cucumber sticks, and I have to agree with her. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week, we're going to be talking about supernaturalism or... What gives you the right to call what I do superstition?
Oh, yes. Well, that was, of course, as named and claimed by our own chief engineer, Troll Towelhead, Stevie Wonder, with Superstition. And uh, tonight, the giveaway is we have uh, some lovely, lovely little uh, apricot drop cookies and uh, everybody gets an apricot drop cookie and uh, so troll got two because he named it and claimed it correctly he got the who was singing the song who did the song and what the name of the song was congratulations and that brings us right on into this week's pontification tonight we're going to be talking about uh something that's been going on, and so I want to try to bring you up to speed so you even know what the hell I'm talking about. There has been a debate going on that's been gaining some, uh, some energy, some fervor in the pagan and neo-pagan community, which, as many of you know, kind of sits right alongside over there next door uh, in the next lot over or a couple of lots over from our own community. And it has been a debate started by individuals who describe themselves as uh, atheistic pagans or atheist pagans. Now, I'm not sure I can uh, even tell you what that means. You would have to go and research that yourself, nor am I going to attempt to speak for those individuals or try to explain their, their overall thinking, but there they are, and they have been making certain criticisms against uh, the rest of their community that they are standing firm, standing tall against polytheistic pagans and, uh, quote, pagans involved in supernaturalism and superstition. Now, normally I wouldn't even bring this up because it goes on, well, like I said, a couple of lots over. That house down the street, not in our house, not on our little plot of land, except that we have a number of individuals in our community who straddle the line. They stand in the neo-pagan community and they stand in the hoodoo root work conjure community as well. And so what we have been starting to hear is something that I find to be just, it just boggles my damn mind, which is this argument has slowly started to creep into our community as well. Now, normally, the old professor will wait until something's a real big hot topic before I decide to weigh my own silly self in on it, drag myself in and start talking about it. But this time I said, no, no. I'm going to go in and cut this, you know, nip this in the bud, okay? I'm not going to wait until this grows because if this grows, I think I will go out my damn mind. And so what it is is this. We have started to see an influx of this argument into our community. Soft right now. So like I said, the old professor is kind of jumping ahead of the game this time to nip it in the bud. And what the argument goes is this, that there is a deplorable or at least, uh, you know, we're certainly against it, uh, amount of supernaturalism 
supernaturalism and superstition that goes on in Hoodoo Rootwork and Conjure, as well as obviously some sort of argument towards a pro-atheistic approach or belief system or identifying uh, uh, kind of cover uh, jacket that we wear. I have some problems with this. And I'm going to go through them, but I'm going to go through them somewhat backwards. I'm not going to start with atheism. I'm not going to start with supernaturalism. I'm going to start with that old devil superstition, which you probably knew I was going to because of the song I played at the beginning of the set. Now, didn't you? Let me tell you something. I have said this for a long time. More than a few people have heard me say it. You can quote me. You can bring it to me written down on a piece of paper, and I'll sign it. And I'm going to say it again right here, right now, live on the air. Cult is what the big church calls the little church. Terrorist, far too often, is what the big army calls the little army. And superstitious is what the quote-unquote big magician calls the little magician. And not only that, but out of a number of different mouths, the very term superstition is not only meant in an offensive manner, but it is also classist, truly, and racistly charged. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not hunting for a fight here. I'm not trying to see something that doesn't exist. I'm telling you, go and sniff around. Go and read your history books. Go and read your old anthropology books. Go and look at the Neo-Victorian School of Anthropology. Go look at all of it, and you will find that what I just said is superstition, something those people do. And those people are superstitious because those people are not as, quote, enlightened as, quote, we are. They're not enlightened because they're poorer than us. They're not as well educated than us. They come from a different culture than we do. Or they are of a different race than we are. To me, superstition That old devil word superstition goes hand in hand with phrases like black magic. And I've talked about black magic on the show before and how you don't have to look too far too fast to see that most of the black magic is being done by black folks according to non-black folks. So here we have this come up again. Now, all of a sudden, what we do in hoodoo is superstitious. Let me just tell you what a long, strange trip this has been for myself. I had, decades ago, involvement in the pagan community through my spouse at the time and through friends, very close family friends and loved ones at the time. And it was something that eventually I had to bail on. And one of the reasons I had to bail on it was because 
dealing with pagans and neo-pagans in the South, and that's all I can speak about, I saw on many, many, many occasions indigenous folk beliefs, but in particular the folk magic beliefs and practices of African Americans described as foolish, superstitious, and ignorant. Try and bring you along for a moment, if I can, paint you a little word picture and see if you can get what I'm telling you. I knew people, and I'm not putting them down for this, but I am accurately describing them. I knew people who would go out during the full moon, because apparently the full moon was a time of some sort of empowerment. It had ritual significance who would take off all their clothes because apparently to be naked was to be empowered and some thought that clothing in some sense uh, barred some sort of natural energy or vril or whatever. And they would gather together in circles because the circle represented something and they would pay homage to the moon. They would have knives, daggers, and swords. They would make intonations. They would chant. They would summon up. They would invoke or evoke primal goddess spirits from themselves, from the earth, from the moon. They would make requests onto them. They would cast spells in this sacred space that wasn't a space, in this time that somehow wasn't a time. And these same sons of bitches would turn around and call hoodoo, conjure, and root work, quote, superstitious and ignorant. See what the hell I'm saying here? Think about that for a minute. I'm not saying their religious practices were wrong. I'm not saying their religious practices were silly. I'm not saying their religious practices were worthy of mockery. But there was no sense of irony at all. I mean, none. Zero self-fucking awareness here. All right? They would literally engage in ritual and magic, religious or otherwise, tie knots to capture wind, you name it. Again, let's be clear here. Professor Porterfield is not saying it's bullshit or that they're stupid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that doing these things, they would then turn around and snigger up their sleeves, except when they was naked, about things like essence of bendover, okay, about Chinese floor wash, about black cat bones, about, uh, you know, graveyard, about meeting the devil at the crossroads, okay? A few of them, a few approached this from an intellectual position where they were making a separate set of assessments. They were saying the devil isn't the devil, the devil is misattributed, and therefore you're not meeting the devil at the crossroads, you're meeting somebody else. That's a different story. I don't agree, but it's a different story. All right? They're not making fun. They're trying to own. Again, there's still an intellectual superiority there. I know what the truth is of what you're doing, and you and your ancestors who have been doing this for countless decades and generations and even centuries don't really know what you're doing because you've been lied to by the man and the power structure and this, that, and the other thing. Fill in the blank, whatever good word sounds great today, like patriarchy. Let's use the word patriarchy. You've been lied to by the patriarchy. But 
I possess the real knowledge. Okay, there's still a little bit of smug intellectual superiority there. But that's not the worst. The worst of the worst is when they would actually sit around and laugh about it. Okay? You can try and tell me all day and all night that a frog is actually a sheep. You can say, oh, a frog's a sheep. But looks like a frog to me. Okay? Sorry. Pretty sure that's a frog. You can try to tell me that there was no, none, zero level of racism involved in this. Except I was sitting around with nothing but white people, and all these white people thought that magic that was done by their white ancestors in other fucking countries in ye olden times before people were burnt and everything was lost and their trajectory story on that would sit around and giggle and snort and mock okay the magical practices of African Americans sorry there's some fucking racism in there okay Let's just call it what the fuck it is. There's some racism there, and there's some intellectual superiority there. There's a lack of self-awareness, and there is a great failure at having any sort of understanding of irony. So, the professor bailed. I I had to bounce. I'm gone, okay? Because I was brought up around this. I was brought up around this. This was taught to me by people who were very dear to me. This was taught to me, you know, in people's homes. This, these, were, these, were, these were people I knew, and I wasn't going to sit around and listen to this bullshit. So, okay, at that point in time, young professor, not old professor, bounces. I'm gone. Now, I've lived long enough for the specter, the shadow of this ugly-ass ghost to creep the fuck back in. I do not give two good fucks if within the pagan community they want to have an internal, cultural, intra-community discussion about anything. It's not my business. Okay? Certainly, certainly, I don't want to see people fight. I don't like to see people act ugly to each other. I have quite a number of friends who are pagans and neo-pagans. I don't want to see them, you know, be subjected to somebody's bully pulpit. I don't want to see them be run roughshod over by a bunch of people who are just, you know, in intellectual assholes. But it's really not my business. And most people I know are very intelligent, strong-willed individual, and they sure as shit can fucking defend themselves. But now this crap is creeping into my yard. Okay? Now this is here in my community. So here I am to say something about it. You're going to come back and drag this bullshit up again and start calling hoodoo superstitious. Now, what's the next problem? Let's go with the next one. Supernaturalism. Again, this atheistic pagan movement, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean, is saying that one of the failings of paganism and neo-paganism is that it's supernaturalism. It's based around a concept of supernaturalism. 
All right. Well, that's uh, you know, that's a that's kind of a thing that you say that most people don't get. Okay. Well, what what is it? What is it? Well, supernaturalism, which would be opposed to naturalism, is a belief in the supernatural. In other words, it's a belief interpreting the world or attempting to understand or control it through a supernatural understanding, supernatural means, supernatural thought. It varies uh, from group to group who are in, engaging in supernaturalism. Uh, and so as one example, we have people that believe that supernatural powers or entities are constantly or continuously intervening or interacting with the natural world. And then you have, well, as an example, deists. And deists would be in a category of people who believe that only the origins of the natural world okay, should be sought from a supernatural source. So in other words, we live in a naturalistic world, but the naturalistic world was begun by a supernatural occurrence. All right. At the end of the day, all it means, the term means is beyond nature, above nature, supernature, as opposed to, I suppose, subnaturalism, which would be below nature, subnatural, supernatural, etc. Now, again, it's neither here nor there for me to discuss how this relates to the pagan or neo-pagan community. And if there's a group, a growing group in paganism and in neo-paganism in the United States, because this doesn't seem to be taking root much in Europe, who want to say that, no, the outlook of uh, paganism is that it should be a naturalist state and we should, uh, you know, be fascinated and adoring and, and captivated and understand the process of life and the universe, etc., through a naturalist uh, set of ideas and thought. That's their business. But now what's happened is because we have some people that straddle the line in the two communities, this is starting to be suggested about hoodoo. So let me be frank. Let me be very frank. Let me be very open. Let me be very revelatory. Let me be very honest. And again, take notes, kids, because you can say later, he said this, and you'll be right. I said this. I am, first and foremost, a pragmatist. Boom! I am a pragmatist. What does that mean? Well, that means if it works, uh, I believe in it. Okay? Now, that does not mean I'm a pragmatist without some degree of thought. You know, I mean, uh, you're not. I, I'm not going to be the the first guy in the world to fall for the old money machine. You know, you put the dollar in, you spin the wheel, and it makes two dollar bills. No, I'm pretty sure you got another dollar bill hidden in there. Being a pragmatist does not mean I don't think, but I am a pragmatist. I'm a pragmatist about how I approach matcher, uh, magic. I'm a, I'm a pragmatist about how I approach. Uh, hoodoo, I'm a, a pragmatist about how I approach most of my goddamn life. If it works, it is true. Second of all, I am a supernaturalist. There's no two ways about it. I cannot get out of it. You can tell me whatever you want. I can try to dress it up however you want. But at the end of the day, I believe in things like God, spirits, nature spirits, spirits of the land, spirits of the dead. I believe in 
let's go off into anthropological bullshit for a minute. I believe in the laws of contagion. I believe in the laws of sympathy. Okay? <clears throat> I believe in those things. Why wouldn't I? I do them every goddamn day! If I didn't believe in them, well, I would be a fraud. I mean, to some extent. I mean, think about this a minute. Client calls me and says, hey, I need help with whatever. I say, no problem. We can attempt that. Not we will do it. I'm not one of these people that says, oh, all my work works all the time. But we can attempt it, and we attempt it through these means. They're physical actions that we do. We gather this. We put this together. They're herbs. Materia magica, kids. Materia magica. Okay, we get this person's foot track, and that foot track that they've left in the sand, that they've left in the dirt, somehow is connected to them. All right, and now we can affect them through affecting it. Look, it's it that's supernaturalism. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Now there are people on both sides of the aisle that will not like what I just said. There are people that agree with me. Yeah, we do that. Who will say, "Oh, it's not supernaturalism." There are people that, "You're an idiot." Okay, whatever. But I'm just talking about me, okay? And from where I'm sitting, and where I'm sitting alone, I do not understand how you can remove supernaturalism from hoodoo and have it still be hoodoo. Hoodoo's not a religion. It doesn't have a set of uh, tenets that are mostly beyond uh, Protestant Christianity, all right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily. You know, it it is connected and a part of a culture, but it is not necessarily the culture itself. Meaning, it would be foolish of you to say that hoodoo rootwork and conjure are the sum total of the Black American cultural experience. The Black American cultural experience is far bigger than hoodoo. Hoodoo is a component of the black American experience, cultural experience. It's one part of. So are a host of other things, language, societal norms, music, dance, art, education, food. I mean, you know, styles of dress, how communities are formed, how communities interact with each other, how individuals act within the, that's it's a culture. It's a goddamn culture. But to say here's this one part of this culture, hoodoo, magical practice. All right. And we're going to take away supernaturalism from it. We want it to no longer engage in supernaturalism. Well, it sounds to me like you want to kill it. I mean, just to be honest with you, because what's going to be left? I mean, if you're already going to church, I guess you can keep going to church, except going to church is in, in and of itself to some degree supernaturalism. Now, 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 isn't it? Now, isn't it? See, as confused as I am about what a picture of non-supernaturalist, atheist, paganism looks like, I, I can't picture in my mind what that looks like. That doesn't mean it's impossible. It means I just don't get it. I can't picture at all, all, at all, a atheistic, non-supernaturalist hoodoo. 
I don't see anything there at all. What what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, you know, I mean, you you at the end of the day, you can't even you know say sending sending positive thoughts and wishes because that's kind of fucking supernaturalist. You know, what are you going to do with it? Also, as this has crept into our community, I don't see it linked to anything, meaning it's not linked to social change. It's not linked to social justice. We've weathered those storms before. We've seen already the, you know, stop carrying rabbit's feet because if you stop, then people will respect you. You know, all that jazz. That's a different set of issues. That's not what's being said here. It's not the issue that some people have where they say, oh, who do it actually is this and you're doing whatever. That's a separate issue. It's not something where somebody's saying, oh, the pitch that's being sold of hoodoo nowadays is a lie. Okay. No, that's not it either. This is literally you need to stop doing that foolishness. So where is this coming from? I can't say. But it makes absolutely no damn sense to me why you would have an atheistic, non-supernaturally based hoodoo. Not sure how you're going to do it. I really don't want to see you do it. Don't want to see you succeed in it because, to me, it's destructive. Meaning, it is not destructive in that it is transgressive. You have a, you have a right to do whatever you want, okay, by all means. Within your personal life, within your personal practice, within how you go at things, do 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 your trip, okay? Do your trip. But when you start trying to sell this, that this is what we need to do, why do we need to do it? Now, unfortunately, when I ask those questions, normally what I get back is a bunch of insults, and normally intellectually aimed insults, meaning people will say, oh, well, those who want to do this is because they want power. You want power over people. You're a cult leader. Oh, you, it's because you're ignorant. Oh, you want to keep people stupid. Oh, you're manipulating people. And then eventually, because I am me, somebody says, oh, here's another Jew trying to rip off black people. Okay, well, you know, I'm getting really tired of that. But there it is. But even that doesn't seem to be an answer to my question. The question is, what, what will hoodoo do when you remove all this? I don't think it'll do anything. And what this reminds me of, and what a friend of mine, when we spoke of this recently, reminded me of, is this reminds me of the word intent. Let me tell you. I really don't like the word superstition. I, I try not to use it. I don't like it. Sometimes I'm forced to use it because I'm quoting somebody or, you know, there's some sort of a cultural point that needs to be made. I really don't like that word. But in terms of words that I hate paired to the word intent, I fucking hate the word intent because it's gotten messed up. Because it's become something that it was never meant to be. Because it has this new meaning that's been associated to it. And we have these people who come into hoodoo and they say, all you need is intent. All you need is intent. But it doesn't mean anything. It's a, it's a non-starter. It's a no-go. It, it's just a, it's a buzzword. It's a fucking buzzword. Okay? Buzzword. It doesn't mean anything. Intent. 
first of all, we all have fucking intent. Are you kidding me? If I go, I'm hungry. I'm going to go to the kitchen, and I'm going to get something to eat. I've got intent. I have an intent. I have intention. I intend to take my ass to the kitchen and find myself some food. Somehow, somewhere down the line, somebody started selling the idea that that means that when I get to the kitchen, I will find food in the kitchen. Well, let me tell you something, Mother Hubbard. Sometimes the cupboard is fucking bare. You can intent all you goddamn want. And if you don't have the means, then you ain't going to get nowhere. Intent. Every artist has some intent, if only to evoke emotion from those who participate, see, or hear their art. That's intent. That doesn't make it good art. Every plumber has intent when he comes or she comes to your house. Okay? They intend to get fucking paid. All right? They hopefully intend to try to rectify Okay, your plumbing problem. But that doesn't mean they can if they don't have the proper tools, if they don't have the proper training. Sometimes the plumbing problem's too big for that plumber. Plumber says there's nothing I can do. You gotta have a bigger you have to have a bigger solution come in here. We have to rip out all the pipes in this house because they're hundred and fifty years old. We have to turn off the water to the house now. You got no water. Well, the plumber still had the intent of arriving at your door of seeing what your problem was and trying to help you. But that didn't make it happen. Now it did it. But there is a group of people involved in magic. And you see it in hoodoo. You see it in conjure. You see it in paganism. You see it everywhere who say that intent is all you need. That you put your intentions into things. So you take whatever... (coughs) pardon me, you take whatever and you hold it and you focus your intent and you put your intent into the object, the work, and then you do the thing and the thing supposedly is going to happen. Hope that works out for you. It's not where I'm coming from. And I'm not sure it has any goddamn place in Hoodoo Root Work and Conjure because, well, I guess you can just kiss Materia Magica Goodbye. Right? I don't need any of this shit now, do I? Right? I mean, listen, you know, let me just tell you something. You know how, quote unquote, easy it is to get a master root? It's not. It's a huge pain in the ass to get a master root. Okay? I can go and find master root and dig it up myself and process it myself or I can go to Lucky Mojo, and that's about the only place I know that I can get Master Root. They're big, beautiful root. I love to work with their potency. If you haven't already worked with Master Root, you should. But apparently, I don't need to work with Master Root. Apparently, I'm an old fuddy-duddy fool engaged in supernaturalism, and all I fucking needed to do, okay, was put my intent into fucking anything. Fucking anything. I don't need Master Root now. Apparently, I can go in the kitchen, and I can just say, uh, oh, what do we got in here? Oh, a three-week-old orange. No problem. 
It's an orange. It's from nature. It's part of whatever. I can take it, and I can put my intent in that orange and use that orange as I would use master root. You will notice that the kid isn't even in here asking what's it got to do with hoodoo because you should see what this has to do with hoodoo. This is 10 pounds of hogwash in a five-pound bag. This is not, this is not hoodoo. Once again, hoodoo didn't join you, you joined hoodoo. So now you want to change it with intent. Well, as long as you have the intent. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, uh, I know a lot of hungry people that uh, if if will, if will and desire and intent are supreme, I don't know why they're hungry. I don't know why they're poor. I don't know why they got fucked over by the cops. I don't know why the girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife left. <clears throat> I don't know why, uh, you know, I don't know why anything go. Why don't they hit every time at the slots? Why don't they win every fucking lottery scratch-off ticket to the A? Why doesn't every one of their horses win? Are you telling me that the intention of the horse owners and the jockeys and the people who train the horse are that the horse will lose? Okay, occasionally, yeah. There, you, you know, you can make some money on a losing horse. It's a complex fucking thing that normally involves the mob. But, you know, really? Why doesn't every horse win? Why isn't everybody's grandmother alive? If this, if intent is everything, if will is everything, if desire is everything, focused, trained desire, why hasn't it worked out better? Because it's not, and it has no place in hoodoo. In hoodoo, intent should be the same intent that the craftsperson has, that the craftswoman and the craftsman has, to make quality product, to do things correctly, to follow things, to intend to use good materials to make an excellent meal to intend to make a beautiful dress and therefore get an excellent pattern get good material get good thread use a good needle use sharp scissors and know how to sew and measure it correctly on the person you're making the dress so for so that it fits well that's the intent but without technique where does intent gift you? Without some level of spark, whatever you want to call it, artistry, gift, whatever, where does technique get you? All of these things are necessary, and you're not going to take out opponents and replace them with intent. And so to me, when I hear this supernaturalism argument, it's going down the same path. Let's go back to calling it superstition. Let's go back to getting rid of belief. Let's go back to suppressing it. Let's take out the supernaturalism, and then they can just continue it as what? A cultural practice? Except all the actions within the cultural practice are centric to supernaturalism. Because it's hoodoo, it's conjure, it's root work. So, whatever. Normally I don't do this. Normally I don't come on here for a pontification and engage in, quote, philosophy. Well, I guess I did tonight. I guess I came in here tonight with a philosophical bent, but I hope that you will consider this, and I hope that if you do see this continuing to grow like fucking kudzu in our community, you'll do your best 
to stem the tide of this kind of argument. Because at the end of the day, as far as where I'm sitting, it comes out of an intellectual superiority, a lack of self-perspective, a lack of understanding of irony, classism, and racism. At the end of the day, who can say? Am I right? Are they right? Eh, who knows who's right? As long as you're healthy, as long as you're healthy, it's enough. can be who you want to be. I'm the cat that's in the door. I'm Hinky Dink, Solid Spender, a very close friend of Mrs. Spender. Spender, Spender, a big good friend. I'm the cat that's in the door. I'm Neil Lesbian, the real drug cutter, a very close friend of Mrs. Butter. Butter, Smutter, a big good friend. I'm a cat that takes it slow. None of you, Stigmatop. They show the best, my boots are lined with these. Say I went way out west and I did my best. Then I came back east to spend my grief. I'm hip to dip, a gas killer. A very close friend of Mrs. Miller. Miller Schmiller, a beacon sin. I'm a cat that's in the north. It's not spelled 
Abigazunt. It's spelled A B Gazunt. Okay? And and Miss Mikhail got it. She got it. She nailed it. Yes, Abi Gazunt, as long as you're healthy. And 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 and, and she got it. I mean, bang! No hesitation. Way to go, Miss Michaela. I, uh, I, I bow before you. You know, she was just doing what we were all doing here at the LMC Radio Network. Tonight, Miss McHale's sending out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air! The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network, in the vanguard! is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Contraman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, Kendalo's Corner with Kendalo Kandisa, Michael Carell, and Lady A, Mondays 5 to 7, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7, On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand and Paige Sapiru, Wednesdays 3 to 4.30, Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Danya, Wednesdays, 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays, 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays, 5 to 7. All times Pacific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Troll Towelhead Chief Engineer here at the LMC Radio Network for that update of our shows each and every week. Up next, we're going to be going to our new segment. This is a segment we're going to be doing here for, oh, maybe two, ten weeks or so, perhaps. And uh, it's based off of a number of letters that we've received. People have been asking, how do I read playing cards? Well, week before last, we started this, the brand new segment with telling you how to do a three-card spread based on colors. And so tonight, we're going to be going to talk about suits. That's right. We're going to talk about all the suits. We're going to talk about hearts. We're going to talk about clubs. We're going to talk about spades. We're even going to talk about diamonds. <laughs> Jack-a-dime, Jack-a-dime, Jack-a-dime was a hard card to see. This 
at a later time, we'll be talking about numeric values, and another time we'll talk about uh, face cards, court cards, etc. But last time we talked about a three-card spread with colors, reds being generally positive, blacks being generally negative, with diamonds and clubs being the off ones, meaning that diamonds... Uh, are red cards that have some negative aspects to them. Clubs are black cards that have some positive aspects to them. And now we're going to talk about what those individual suits mean, because once you have mastered a three-card yes-no reading, then your next step is to start reading those three cards. See, then from there you can spread and learn how to read larger sets of cards or runs of cards. So let's talk about hearts first. The hearts is the suit of the emotions, and it relates primarily to family, friends, loves, lovers, and relationships. Hearts also covers those matters and things for which we hold uh, a very deep, abiding, emotional, or tender feelings. So when we see many hearts, in a reading, it can mean the coming of a new joy, a new love, a romantic, uh, a romantic rendezvous, um, or it can mean a test of the emotions, uh, depending on the other cards present. Because one of the things about reading playing cards is that the interrelationship between a card and the cards next to it highly influences those cards. In other words, you might have a very, very positive card, and it's bookended by very, very negative cards, and that tells you something is amiss with that normally positive card. Or that positive card might be the only way out between those bookends. <clears throat> so hearts are going to deal with our emotions, our matters of love, our matters of family, our dear friends, not just our casual friends, but our dear heartfelt friends, our loves, our lovers, all of our relationships, as well as all of our deeply held emotional ideas, matters of the emotion, matters of the heart. And we're lucky because it's got a heart right on it, so we can always remember that. Clubs are the suit of endeavors, the suit of our work, and our undertakings. This is how we make our money. This is what we do with our time. We don't always get paid for it because that's a different suit, but we'll come to that in a moment. But this is what we do with our time. But it also here talks about our friends that are not necessarily our dearest friends. This is our circle of associates. This is the people we might hang with. This is the people we might run with. These are the people we might work with. This is completely appropriate for this. Clubs also covers the matters of our destinies, our minor conflicts, our discussions, our debates. And when we see several clubs in a run, it can mean that it's a time of great opportunity and value from our work. That value is not necessarily in a monetary or physical way. It can simply mean the value of completing our work or successfully doing it, the value of a craftsman, if you will. Although it can also then, depending on other cards, relate to monetary value. Uh, but also, too many clubs can mean that we're overworked, that we're drained, that we've got too many irons in the fire. And again, we judge that by the other cards that are near it. Now, this is money. Diamonds are all our material things. So it's not only our money, our riches, but it's also our physical possessions, our house, our clothing, 
our computer, our beautiful stereo set, etc. But also it talks about sensualities because most sensualities have a physical, even the love of music and music itself, which is seen as being ephemeral, it doesn't happen without a physical instrument, you see, or a physical source, someone singing, a bird twittering. So diamonds represents the material world and things in the material world as they relate to us through riches, and they also relate to our sensualities. Diamonds also cover matters of our luck, our fortune, as well as letters and news. And because they talk about luck, fortune, letters, and news, they also talk about, and sensualities, they talk about socializing and parties and sex, good old-fashioned wonderful sex. Whenever we see many diamonds in a run, it can mean the coming of good news, a financial gain, or, again, depending on what cards are near it, it can mean that you need to guard your money, guard your physical possessions, or watch your spending, or watch your spending habits. And then finally, we have the suit of spades. This is generally seen as the suit of woes. This is tears, troubles, fighting, separation, sicknesses, violence, and even death. So spades cover those matters of violence, war, tears, sudden changes, fears, as well as, interestingly enough, substance abuse problems, such as alcoholism or drug addiction. However, spades also talk about our mind. So spades also talk about our intellect and how we think and how we get things done, how we go out into the world, how we interact with others. Are we interacting calmly? Are we interacting violently? How are we using our thoughts? Are our minds sharp or are our minds dull? You see? And then, of course, when we see several spades, can be very clearly a warning of trouble ahead. Watch out. Watch out, there's trouble coming, or sudden change as a lesser thing, depending on, again, which cards are near it. So now let's discuss a little bit about how these cards all flow together. It is generally thought, and again, we haven't gotten into the, the pips. We haven't gotten into the number values here, so we're still talking in broad headings. We talked about broad headings of color. Now we're coming down a bit. Now we're talking about broad headings of suits. It is generally thought to be a good thing in a reading, in a run of cards, when we see clubs linked with diamonds. Here we see work, and we see the profit of work together. We see money invested in a business, and we see the business working. So depending on where they come, generally what you want to see is you want to see clubs followed by diamonds, if that makes sense to you. In other words, you work, and then you receive. If you see diamonds coming before clubs, that may mean that you're spending to start a business or that the endeavor that you're engaged in, let's say it's even a hobby, is costing you money. And so then you have to look at what the payoff is. So, again, we like to see clubs and diamonds together. If we are leading a, a sensualist life, a hedonistic life, if we're out for fun, we, and, but we want it to be a little more than just fun, 
if we're looking for profitable sex with others or parties where we're going to meet people, then we like to see hearts and diamonds together. This means satisfaction. Also, if we see a club in there, then that talks about maybe the partners that we're meeting or the people that we're going to have romantic or sexual involvement with are not in our immediate life. They may be at the, the outer limit of our circle of friends or they may be new people. We like to see hearts dominating over spades, not spades dominating over hearts. Again, as I told you, it runs hearts, clubs, diamonds, spades. So when the club is ruling over the spade, then that's, that's very good. Here's the trouble, but now the heart comes in to alleviate the trouble. When we see it reversed and the spade rules over the heart, Oh, well, here's everything lovely and happy, but uh, now there's sadness, there's loss, there might be violence, arguments, etc. Clubs and spades are an interesting case because spades representing the intellect may be advisories towards our work rather than simply trouble with our work. Diamonds and spades can mean obvious loss of our material well-being, that we didn't guard our riches, that there's trouble coming, that we might be stolen from. But it can also mean that we might be stealing from others. Again, because of the intellect aspect of spades and the sensual aspect of diamonds, it can also represent someone who's running a game. Someone who's whispering in your ear and saying sweet things to get out of you. A sensual, a sexual, a using relationship that has no further component to it, particularly if there are no hearts available. So these are the basic suits. Lots of people will tell you lots of different stories from them. I can tell you that the American deck, four suits, are of French origin. Hearts, diamonds, clubs, and spades. And I can tell you that there is an older interpretation that is not American that placed these suits with various members of society. The hearts, as an example, represented the clerical class, the priests, and the struggle for one to achieve inner joy, the love of God. The clubs represented the poor and that one achieves things through work. The diamonds represented the merchant class and that one attained something through wealth. And the spades represented the warring class, the soldiers, the military, and that one gained things through strength as well as the struggle against the ills of life. But here in America, they are just good old-fashioned hearts, clubs, diamonds, and spades. But we do find in our American reading, that some of that has been left over. In other words, spades are often associated with police, often associated with soldiers, often associated with firefighters, a bouncer, someone who has physical activity and is at risk. Interestingly enough, in the American South and in our American card reading that we're talking about, there's another reason that the police are represented by spades because they represent trouble, see? Because the police aren't always fair-minded. So they serve double duty with spades. We do see that diamonds often is represented by a banker 
someone who has monetary power, banker. Also, you will occasionally see someone who sells insurance or needs insurance being talked about under diamonds. Clubs does talk sometimes about the working class, and it talks about a need for a job and to keep a job. But interestingly enough, hearts – let me stop myself for a moment. I went a little too fast. Clubs also can represent, excuse me, a judge. And I find it interesting that the judge appears in clubs and not in spades. Well, the judge doesn't really face that much violence. The judge doesn't really face that much danger. And also, interestingly enough, it is a suggestion here within the context of culture that some judges are fair-minded. Some judges do the right thing because you see they're the lesser black suit. They're clubs, but there's still a black suit, which means you kind of got to watch out around judges as well. Again, within the context that we're talking about, hearts, you don't really hear hearts being talked very much about being preachers or being men of God or ministers. In a few readings you do, but generally that started to drop by the wayside a long, long time ago. And what you see with hearts, and again, this comes back because it relates to family, is hearts are talked about representing fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, grandparents, as well as ancestors. Because the idea here is there's a connection of love. So I hope that you will some time this week to get your deck of cards that you've been doing your three-card reading with and looking at the colors, and now start looking at the suits. Start contemplating those hearts, those spades, those diamonds, those clubs, all of that, hearts, clubs, diamonds, and spades, and seeing what it means to you. One of the things I like about a playing card reading is that it is so associated with our culture. Listen, when I read for a client, I don't have to tell any client what the Ace of Spades means. Everybody knows what the Ace of Spades means. I don't have to talk about that because it's a part of our culture. It's a part of our song. It's a part of our story. It's a part of our images that are deeply ingrained. And I don't think there's much better proof of that than Blind Lemon Jefferson singing the song he did at the top of this set. Before we go on, I did receive a question <clears throat> this week, and I want to get to this because it's still hot off the print, hot off the press as it was. And this question comes to us from Abigail. And Abigail asks, Professor Porterfield, I'm so very happy to hear that you're going to be talking about reading playing cards. I have your wonderful book, but I can't think of anything better than to listen to you talk about it each week. I have a question before you get much further along. In terms of readings, what do you feel is the best amount of time for a reading? All right. I'm going to answer this question this week. And if you have questions, please send them in. And if we have time during the segment, I'll answer those questions. So here we go. Ready? I think that every competent card reader, not just for playing cards, but tarot cards, etc., but definitely for playing cards, but again, even a tarot card reader, I think this still stands true. I think you need to have three 
I need to be proficient at doing three different timed readings. I think you need to be able to do a very quick reading. So let's say that one's about 10 minutes or is only three cards. I think you need to be able to do a very quick reading. Here are your three cards. Here's the situation. Here's the way those cards flow. Here's what they mean. Thank you. Goodbye. Because there are numerous situations where there are people who need a quick answer. They don't have time. All right. Or you're in a setting where you can't give them very much time. So I think you need to have a very quick reading. Let's say 10 minutes, maybe three cards. It depends on your 10 minutes. Number two, I think you have to have a general sort of reading. Let's say this one's going to be your 20 to 30 minute reading. I like 30 minutes. It works for me, and it seems to work for a lot of other people. I see some other people, they do it 25, 20, uh, they do 35. Those numbers are a little off for me in my way of thinking and looking at a clock and a watch and the sun in the sky. For me, a 30-minute reading is a very good reading. This is your intermediate reading. It's faster. It's longer. It's longer than your fast reading. It's longer than your fast reading. There are more. There's more complexity here. This might be, oh, a full layout, depending on the size of it. I wouldn't say that that's a 20-card layout. That's a little big for you know, 30 minutes, if you have 20 cards, you're not going to be able to spend much more time than about a minute and a half per card. So I would say you need uh, about a 30-minute reading, and that's going to be a slightly larger reading. For me, that's nine cards, all right? And then I would say you need a very long reading, a big reading. This reading is going to be 50 minutes, an hour, etc. For some people, it's going to be 45, but generally I would say about 50 minutes to an hour reading. This might have more cards on it. Now, if you wanted to read, you know, 30 cards, 20 cards, sure, you could, you could get away with that, absolutely. And again, it's going to depend. Are you reading in a spread? Do you have, a, oh, they all lay out in this little place. Are you reading in a run? Because eventually we're going to talk about reading playing cards in a run, and you don't hear many people talk about that anymore, although a lot of old readers and a lot of us who have, you know, learned our business know about reading a run of cards. And how long is that run of cards going to be? Also, if someone needed a, a reading for that covered an entire year, I want a year reading. I want a birthday reading that tells me everything that's going to happen between this birthday and the next. You want a bigger reading. And in my opinion, if you as a reader develop those three sets of readings, a very fast one, a mid-range one, and then a long one, you will be able to satisfy all of your clients and all of their needs and all of the various situations that as a reader you will ever find yourself in. You may even be able to go from one to another. So that's this week on Reading Playing Cards. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen where the pots and the pans are. We're going to be in there rattling around, crashing, banging, blinging, banging. Bang, a hammer with my hammer, zingo, zango, cutting with my saw. Bling, bang, hammer with my hammer, zingo, zango, cutting with my saw. 
a saw Well, you get a hammer and I'll get a nail And you catch a bird and I'll catch a snail You bring a board and I'll bring a saw And we'll build a house for the baby old Bling, bling, a hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Well, I'll grab some mud And you grab some clay So when it rains it won't wash away We'll build a house that'll be so strong The winds will sing my baby a song Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Run, bring the rocks, and I'll bring the bricks A nice pretty house we'll build and fix We'll jump inside when the cold wind blows And kiss our pretty little baby, oh Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw you bring a ladder and I'll get a box We'll build our house out of bricks and blocks When the snowbird flies and the honeybee comes We'll feed our baby on honey in the comb Bling, bling, hammer with my hammer Zingo, zango, cutting with my saw Bling, bling Hammer with my hammer, zingo, zango, cutting with my saw. Oh, yeah. And the winner of the apricot drop cookie on that one is Troll Towelhead. That is indeed Woody Guthrie. Unfortunately, the name of the song is simply Bling Blang. <clears throat> so there you go. Just Bling Blang. And if uh, uh, you get a bird, I'll get a snail. And tonight, we're going to be talking about snails. Not normally something you'd want in the kitchen, but here they are. So a snail is the common name that is applied to land snails, which are terrestrial gastropod mollusks. Um, and uh, most snails or most animals that uh, have this name applied to them are members of the molluscan class gastropoda, coiled shell that's large enough for the animal to retract completely into. So the word snail, however, also can mean sea snails and freshwater snails, but generally we're talking about land snails, Roman snails. And occasionally people will call a few related things uh, like limpets snails, but they're actually not snails. Um, slugs are snail-like animals that, of course, lack a shell. Um, and land, shells, land snails that have only a very small shell that they cannot retract into as semi-slugs. I might not have known that. 
Uh, snails and humans have a interesting and varied relationship. Um, there are snails that are good for one's garden and snails that are uh, bad for one's gardens. Uh, and there are snails that will capture and eat garden snails, which are thought of as bad snails. And they are often introduced as a form of biological pest control. So you can get one snail to deal with another snail. This is because snails are often carnivorous. They do not simply eat plants. They will often eat other, uh, other snails, as one example. They appear as food, and people do eat snails in a variety of uh, uh, cultures. Uh, land snails, freshwater snails, and sea snails are eaten uh, in a number of countries, but principally in Spain, the Philippines, Morocco, Nigeria, oh, Algeria, Cameroon, France, Portugal, Greece, Bulgaria, Italy, Vietnam, Laos, Belgium, oh, Cambodia, Ghana, Malta, etc. Uh, and they are prepared in a variety of different ways, sometimes within their shells and sometimes without. Um, and uh, sometimes they're boiled, sometimes they're cooked in an oven, sometimes they're fried in a pan. Throughout Europe, uh, there is a there has been historically, like as an example in Scotland, an idea of snails being what's known as famine food, uh, and so people uh, would eat them in times of famine. Uh, snails are used in cosmetics, and there are a number of skin creams derived from various species of snail that are sold for use on wrinkles, scars, dry skins, and even acne. And there is research that suggests that secretions produced under stress from certain species of snails uh, facilitate regeneration of wounded tissue. Uh, as far as how they interact with us in a magical sense, uh, snails are seen sometimes in Christianity to represent sloth. Um, and uh, they are even mentioned in Psalm 58, verse 8, where snail slime is a metaphorical punishment. Uh, snails are widely noted and used in, in divination in a number of different cultures throughout the world. Uh, in fact, uh, there has been suggestion that the ancient myth of Cupid's arrow is actually based on the observation of the love dart behavior of the land of a particular land snail species. This is a species of snail that uh, uh, sends out a little dart to capture a, a mate as a form of sexual selection. But how do they work with us in hoodoo? Well, dried and powdered snails are fed to enemies to cause live things in them to grow in their bodies. And uh, they are also included in recipes for goofer dust. And because snails exude mucus, they are taken to be symbolic of a woman's sexual organs and thus used in love work. So let me give you one example of that. To kill a woman's interest in other men, you would boil a snail in water and then wet a brand new handkerchief in the snail water. You would let it dry out. And then later, under the guise of wiping the woman after having intercourse with her, you would use this dressed handkerchief to draw a cross on her vulva. 
Then you would keep the handkerchief hidden amongst your own things, and uh, this dead snail kills her nature for other men, see, and they won't come near her either. And before we go any further, I, I must digress for a moment here and say, handkerchiefs, for God's sakes, handkerchiefs. I, I'm just. Can I get an amen from Catherine Ironwood right about now? Can 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 Catherine come on and 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 just? I mean, seriously, folks, handkerchiefs. I mean, comes up. This comes up again and again. And again, and again, and again. And y'all ain't carrying no handkerchiefs no more. And you need to be. There are 18 umpty fuck goddamn tricks using handkerchiefs. Okay? And y'all gonna be running around over at Walmart, at Target, asking the lady, where are the handkerchiefs? Okay? Handkerchief. I don't leave home without a goddamn handkerchief in my pocket. And if you think all I'm doing is blowing my nose with it, you're wrong. A handkerchief has aided me more than you might know. It has aided me in magic because I had handkerchiefs so I could pick up shit that I didn't want to touch or I could get something on something else because I could get my sweat on the handkerchief and hand it to somebody else because I had captured something. Let me tell you, that it also has made me a gentleman. I have, there are more than one occasion that someone has been in grief, in sadness, crying with nothing and immediately, boom, I'm there with the handkerchief. Okay, and they appreciate that. People who are sick, etc. Let me tell you another one. Let me tell you another one. If there was a woman that you liked and she was crying because another man had hurt her heart and you gave her a handkerchief and you got her tears on it, okay, and then she gives it back to you, I'll just let you figure out the rest. Okay? There are. Oh, the only person, the only person that I have ever met who have been two people who have ever been cautious about taking a handkerchief from me and giving it back to me are Candelo Convisa and David Shee. So y'all need to be carrying some goddamn handkerchiefs. Sorry, I had to digress there. Snails. Back to the snail. To catch a woman in adultery, you would dry and powder a snail to make snail dust. Did you ever, you ever hear some, some say, you get snail dust, and you're like, how do you get snail dust? Is it the goo that's left on the I gather? No. You dry and powder a snail to make snail dust. Then you pour some water on an Indian head scent. Don't call it a penny. It's a scent. And some water on a silver dime. You add these two waters to the snail dust. And then sprinkle this on the woman's privates, on her pussy, on her vulva, okay? And the next man who has intercourse with her will get stuck like a dog. So why is that? Well, the snail is her genitals. The Indian head scent is your lookout. He's looking out for you. And the silver dime, as we know, warns us of all evil things. There you go. Finally, you can use a snail to capture a man. If you're, because you ladies are going, well, this is all bad news for us with this snail. If your man won't commit himself to a long-term relationship, ladies, have sex with him. Then douche with a pint of water and save the water, which contains your 
your sexual fluids and his sexual fluids. So in other words, he's going to need to come inside you. Then put a live snail in this water and boil it until it's all dried out but not burnt. And then crush the snail up to powder with asafoetida, devil's dung, powder. The next time your man is ill, feed him these capsules, one a day, under the ruse of them being like an herbal medicine, or you got this from the cupboard, you know, I got this from the health food store, and he will never leave you. Now, there's a very, there's a much simpler form of this spell, but boy, I don't know how you're going to pull it off. You want to talk about having to be real slick. You have to be real slick to do this. And that's to rub a live snail on your man's penis while he sleeps and then kill the snail and keep it in a bag and he won't leave you. So if guys, if you wake up in the middle of the night and she's standing over you with a snail and a kind of embarrassed look on her face, you know what's up now. We want to thank, uh, Miss Catherine Ironwood, for her allowance of the use of materials from the excellent book, Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magic of African, Magica of African American Conjure, in our In the Kitchen segment each and every week. Thank you so much for letting us use that along with our own knowledge. Snails! Snails! Snails. By the way, if you would like to know more about snails, keep your eyes out. There'll be a book sometime next year from Professor Charles Porterfield, and it's going to have some snails in it. I'm not joking. I will say no more. Well, we've talked about a lot. Right? We've talked about this bizarre thing about, I don't know, man, anti-supernaturalism and superstition uh, being directed at fucking... <sighs> Hoodoo and Conjure, uh, take of that what you will. I don't even know what to tell you about it. We talked a little more about playing cards. Next week, we're going to start talking about the numbers. Obviously, we're not going to go through 1 to 9, 1 to 10, uh, all in one week. So we'll do it a few at a time, and we'll get you along. And we talked finally about snails. Catherine says the book will be called The Book of Snailcraft. So there you go. It's not the title I had wanted, but, you know, you got to go with your publisher, kids. So be on the lookout for The Book of Snailcraft coming to a store near you soon. <laughs> Meanwhile, the hits just roll merrily along in Washington, and who knows what's going to come of that. Let's all keep our eyes open. Who knows? This is a <laughs> interesting time to watch. I guess all we can do is just keep our heads up and and hope that that this isn't the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And go to Texarkana And don't back to Fort Worth Come on down to Dallas to call the kitty Coming through the territory in Kansas City And from Kansas City to St. Louis And from St. Louis to Chicago I'm on my way But I'm doing well 
on the TV, leaving Fort Worth, Texas, going to Dallas, Hotel, Grand Sling, Silver Lake, Mineola, Tyler, Longview, Jefferson, Marshall, Little Sandy, Big Sandy, Texacano, and Double Badger Fort Worth. Of the LMC Radio Network. Bless their hearts.